I feel naked. Oh, I don't have my Bible. That's what's going on. <laughs> Something did not feel right. Hallelujah. No, I love about that scripture too. Do you know what book of the Bible that song is that we just sang? Do you know where that is? Bible trivia. Well, it's like the most beloved hymn of all time. If you had to pick a book where you're going to sing about how awesomely faithful God is, which book do you think you would not put that in? <laughs> Lamentations. <laughs> Lamentations, appropriately named. We're lamenting because we're in captivity and we can't get to the temple. We can't go to the place where the presence of God is. And that's when God spoke to Jeremiah who wrote that book. It's why he's called the weeping prophet, by the way. And the most beautiful revelation in the darkest hour in Israel's history. They were decades away from the promised land. And in their darkest hour, God came through with that little song. I mean, I know somebody redid it and remade it for today. They probably didn't sing it exactly like that in uh, 500 B.C. But anyway, praise God. You all doing good? Awesome. want to uh, continue digging in on David the king's life, being a man that Jesus uh, was prophesied. The angels said of Jesus that he will sit on the throne of his father David so it's worth digging in on a life when Jesus says, when, I, when I, I know what I want to do, when I come to the earth, Father, I want to sit on that man's throne. The king of all kings, who sits on heaven's throne. You've seen what they saw, all the people taken up, the, you know, John in Revelation, Isaiah, when he was taken up into heaven. You see what they saw? He's sitting on that throne. He said, you know what? In the earth, all the millions of kings have ever been and ever will be, David. That, that's the throne I want to sit on right there. How many of you would want to know what that man did during that kind of a reputation in heaven? It almost feels like David did everything right, but then if you've read through First and Second Samuel, you know that now there's quite a few train wrecks coming. But for this part of David's life, he is a model of what it looks like to allow God to to train you for reigning. Training for reigning, we used to call it in children's ministry. Learning how to conduct ourselves, how to live our lives in such a way that God can entrust us with more. How many of you believe already and agree? With, I was about to say agree with me, but this is me. I'm just the messenger. How many of you agree with this, that we are made to rule and sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that we're created and we're born again for that purpose, not to rule over anybody, but to see to it that evil has no place any longer. That's what authority is all for. You understand that, right? I mean, we'll look more into that in the next two or three weeks when we look at David and Saul's palace. But authority isn't ever for the purpose of being in charge of something. It's for the sake of protecting something, to guard something that, that we love or that God loves. You know, a father has authority in, in his home, not because not he wanted to have kids to boss a few little people around. Authority is given to protect. Authority is given so that the people who live under that authority get to be free and, and rejoice and just have a peaceful life. That's the, the purpose of it. The problem is when somebody carries authority in a way that's not like how heaven carries authority, and then most all of our, uh, many of us anyway, have really deep hurts from leaders, parents, government officials maybe, people who really just use their authority in a selfish way. And so this whole process that we're looking at that David went through 
was to root out all of that from him so he could be the kind of king that instead of saying, hey, it's my kingdom, I finally have the throne, he would say, hey, here's a spot for you, God. I made room for you in the earth. You can come and set up right here, right here. I can't wait to, I must want to skip like five or six weeks and get to where David becomes king because I love that the first thing he did was, where's the ark? I need the presence. I'm not going to do this without the Lord, as all of God's friends do. And it's just an amazing thing. But today, I'd like to look at um, faithfulness. All of, all of what we're going to look at in David's life are both, you know, some keys to, or, or some, you know, like a revelation of what it looks like to be, as the scripture translates it, a man after God's own heart. Really what it is, is one who carries God's heart, one who has God's heart. And when we live life that way, it's amazing. When we lead that way, it's even more amazing because the world's just absolutely blessed. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. So there's been a lot of groaning. So um, how many of you believe that God's the best trainer in, in the world? Right? He, he knows. How many of you had a really, really good coach at some point in your life? whether a sports coach, life coach, art coach, somebody who knew how to draw the best out of you and bring you from here to there. Everybody have one? How many of you would agree God's the best at that, at taking anything, taking like lifting the needy from the ashes and sitting them with Prince's level of amazing coach? He's like that. He's the best trainer. He knows the way. He knows what's needed. He knows what things need to be honed out and what needs to be added in. He's just incredible at it. And all of these things that we're looking at in David's life, there is a process that David had to go through. And all of you know, if you've had a prophecy or some kind of word or promise, whether it began in here or was spoken over you, that there's an excitement about what God said he wants to do, whether to use you to do something or something he's you know, going to give you or whatever. And as soon as the promise comes, you're like, okay, how about tomorrow would be a great time for that, right? But then, you know, whenever I hear great promises, we've had, you know, prophetic ministry here, and I hear great promises spoken over some of you, and, and, and I get all excited, and I think, oh boy, I wonder what the process is going to be to get from there to there. And you, know, you read the Bible, and you know, and some people say, oh, I don't want to be anything, really, <laughs> because I don't, need, I don't want that kind of process. But all of it, it's just a matter of whether we're willing to continue to walk closely with the Lord no matter what the enemy throws our way to try to trip us up. So I also want to point out as we go through David's life, areas that, that we tend to get tripped up on. And if we're not careful, if we allow it to trip us up, we, we get sidelined in the will of God. We get sidelined. All those great and precious promises. You know, a, a promise of God is not a guarantee that it's going to happen. I've said that on purpose that way to shock you. Because we have this feeling like, God being in control means he's the great micromanager of the universe, and he's just not. God speaks his intentions. God says, here's a road, and if you walk this road, this is what's going to happen at the other end of it. But how many of you know our free will has this way of kind of tripping things up and getting off track? And God's like 10 miles down the road of destiny, turned around and go, where are you? Uh, you know, I said, this is where I want you to, why aren't you with me in this place? And, and I want a, a, a big heart of this, my passion in sharing this, that none of us would get tripped up on the way. I want to see every last one of us. You know, uh, every leader's desire, every father's desire is to be surrounded by strength. 
to be surrounded by those who are confident and mature and leading in their own right, not to have a bunch of, I mean, you know, childish authority wants, I just want a bunch of servants to do my whims. Healthy authority, healthy fathers and mothers, healthy leaders are those who say, I can't wait to see what everybody's going to look like when they fully mature into the call of God on their lives. That's our heart here for every one of us. I believe every one of us is called to do something incredible. And it may not make headline news. You might not show up in a magazine article or a book or a, you know, some kind of history or something like that. But I believe that Christ in us is destined to transform something all around wherever we go. And if you agree with that, you're in the right place and this is the right series for you. So I want to talk to you today about faithfulness. This is the first key to promotion. And that word faithfulness is one of the more, you can Google or Google. <laughs> we used to use the Strong's Concordance and now we have all these online tools that make it easier. Love is the most, one of the most common words. Second only to that is faith or faithful all throughout the scriptures. So we have this proverb that is a, Proverbs 20 verse 6. And it says, many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? So I'm going to break this down a little bit because um, trustworthy worthy or faithfulness is, is a quality David had. It's a quality all of God's people have. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty. An interesting thing, and this is where I do, I'm so glad that I got over being afraid of foreign ancient languages, and I hope all of you will get there too, because it's not that hard. Like a, you can look it up. And this word loyalty, if you've been around Hillside when I've been here long enough, this Hebrew word chesed is the most precious Hebrew word of all. Chesed. It's translated mercy. It's translated loving kindness. It's translated graciousness. It's translated basically uh, sometimes just love. All the goodness of God as it manifests to us is what the word chesed is usually used for. So we could say with this proverb, many a man proclaims his own chesed, his own love, his own loving kindness, his own desire for good. Chesed is God's, you know, how many of you know that God doesn't have to try to be good? You ever say that to your kids? Be good today. That helped, right? Because they, they were like, oh man, I wasn't going to be till you said that. You know? God doesn't need anybody to tell him. He can't help himself. It's like he doesn't have to turn on the love muscle. God is love. All he has to do is manifest, and he's love. That's what we experience. So it says, many a man proclaims his own love like that, the way God proclaims his love, but who can find a real faithful and dependable man? So there's this tie-in. Our faithfulness is directly wrapped up with love. And the demonstration of God's love. Our faithfulness is an expression of God's love. Our faithfulness in our marriages, for example, through seasons where it gets difficult, through seasons where you feel like quitting, and through seasons where it's a joy. Faithfulness means I'm going to keep moving forward to, until we become one flesh and to come what may. We'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death together. We'll stand on the highest mountain rejoicing together. I'm not leaving you, even if we you know, separate, you know, on heart for a while because we're angry or we got some things that we got to work out. Faithfulness means I am with you. Remember that, that picture? I was almost going to make you stand up, but I won't make you walk. I grabbed Craig the other day. Hand in hand with God is the word picture of David's name. One who walks that close, like I am not letting go of you. Faithfulness means I'm holding that hand. I'm, whatever it is that I've got in my hands to do or whoever I've got to be with, I'm not letting you go. That's faithfulness. 
And it's one of the most precious ways of demonstrating love. Faithfulness is the consistent demonstration of the steadfast love of God. We just sang about that. It's the most, the steadfast love, his steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Why, why can't it just be the love of the Lord never ceases? Because sometimes we need to know there's a steadfastness to it. Because we doubt. Every one of us, when we get into certain seasons of life and certain things begin to happen and come our way, and, and we have these moments where we question, God, are you still with me? Because I sure don't feel like it. Am I still your child? Do you actually still love me? Because this is how you treat those you love. I'd hate to be your enemy. Am I the only one who prays like that? Or I know I'm not. So the steadfast love, which means I'm sticking with you and I'm going to hold your hand as long as you're holding it. I am always here. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That love never ceases. Our faithfulness is the way we demonstrate that kind of steadfast love that God has. Carrying a heart like God's means being faithful the same way that God is faithful. How many of you are glad that God's faithful even when we're not? That is every one of our testimonies. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, but now how much more, having been saved, will continue to be saved by his life? He's faithful. So, Working out, God, we have circumstances that come in our lives that test our, our stick to itness, our faithfulness, our ability to be steadfast and immovable, to continue to move forward, to continue to manifest the love of God and be what God called us to be, do what God called us to do, even and especially when we feel like quitting. So David began to manifest this while he was at his father's house. We looked a little bit <clears throat> last week, excuse me at what it would have been like to grow up in David's house, youngest of eight brothers, fill in the blanks of what his childhood was like. But the day of his anointing, the prophet said, bring your family in. They didn't even invite David in. So you could fill in whatever detail you want of what that environment must have been like for him, how hurtful that would have been what it would have been like to be the forsaken young brother, you know, and on the one hand, yeah, you're the, you're the baby, you're the caboose, so your parents spoil you. On the other hand, none of your siblings thinks you're worth anything. You're always going to be the little baby to everyone in the family for the rest of your life, kind of the left out one in that. Well, that was David, his family of origin, our family of origin. That is the first of all the stumbling blocks we're looking at. That is the first thing that we need to overcome. The first way that most people get tripped up in life is by identifying with what we came from rather than what, we brought, what we've been brought into. I'm gonna say that again because that was really good. If we identify, amen. If we identify with more with where we came from rather than where we've been brought to, that is the first thing we need to overcome. And we can spend the rest of our lives talking all about our childhood and all about these things that happened that are in the past. What's behind me right now on that wall? That cross needs to become a barrier where those things no longer define us. Yes, there's a need to deal with whatever carryover. There are habits that came from the old life. There are wounds that came from the old life. There's stuff that's in there. How do you know it's in there? Because it finds a way out. If, you know, I used to think I was so loving and so selfless. And then I got married. <laughs> I could not believe how selfish my wife was. <laughs> I was just shocked at how difficult it was to love this woman who, I mean, when she came down the wedding aisle the day of, man, I'm telling you, it was like a scene out of a movie anyway. It was an outdoor wedding and it was kind of a hill. 
So I'm standing up there. You remember, there's my father and father in love right here, Henry. He was there that day, and, and I saw him, but I wasn't looking at him. I mean, I know you were there. I've seen the pictures, but I didn't notice you at all. <laughs> and then my bride came up, first the top of her head, and then her face, and then the rest of her, and I about passed out. How could I not, every moment of every day for the rest of my life, desire to pour out every bit of love I've got into a woman that I was that passionate about? Welcome to the world of growing up to be more like Jesus when we grow up. And if marriage didn't do it enough, then we started having kids. Wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, your introduction to, all right, I'm, I'm stretched in my love muscle trying to get to know this woman who is the exact opposite of me in every conceivable way. Like we had one of those pre-marriage tests and it said these two should never get married. I'm literally, I'm not joking. I was like, I don't like this test at all because I think it's, anyway. Then you start having kids and, you, and then for the first year of parenting, all you hear is, ah! From this little tyrant. Uh, you know? And, and then you just, then you're dumb enough to say, okay, Lord, we'll have as many kids as you want us to have. And then six kids later, you're just surrounded. And, and then you realize that love requires steadfastness. That love is the ultimate demand. Faithfulness is the ultimate, or love is the ultimate demand of faithfulness. Because there's seasons where marriage feels like a whoo ride on a, you know, a cool country highway. And then there's seasons where it feels like you are driving across a dark desert highway in Nevada. And you could see California mountains from the east end of the state. And they don't get closer. And sometimes marriage, feel, all relationships feel like that, right? Does not our relationship with God even feel like that sometimes? You know, we're waiting on whatever it is we're waiting on, the promise of God fulfilled or the next step in the journey. And we're like, oh, are we there yet? You know, we're kids in the back seat again, like when we were little. How much longer? Can we say, I gotta go to the bathroom. You know, it's just, it's all this stuff that goes on. But carrying a heart like God's mean, means being faithful. So the second test, the second way that we gotta be careful not to stumble is to learn faithfulness. So we find David, he's at his father's house the day the prophet comes. Uh, Sam, the Samuel the prophet looked at all the other boys, all seven of them, he said, nope, none of these. You sure you don't have any more kids? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 that little guy. The, our youngest, he's out there in the fields. Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is tending the sheep. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring for him. We will not sit down till he comes here. He's tending the sheep. He didn't just forget about him. David was out being faithful with his present assignment. And that's what I want to talk about today. Being faithful in his present assignment. You cannot find anyone in the scriptures, and you'll meet precious few in, real, in, in our lives today that weren't being found faithful with something when God called them and said, now it's the time for you to step into the next thing I have for you. It's one of the qualities of those that are called of God. How many of you are called of God? That's not enough hands yet. You can make me preach longer. <laughs> Everyone. He called us by name and we're his, and then we have a high, precious calling in Christ that we're called into. Some of us may be in a public leadership. Some of us will be leading in private. All of us will be leading people to Christ. That's the purpose of our lives, to lead more sons and daughters back, to gather them back into Christ. That's why we're still alive. 
every called one of God was chosen for their next anointing and assignment while faithfully serving in the last place that God set them. I would write that down. I would, well, I would, I'm saying I would. I did write that down. I circled it. Phil Capuccio preached this in 1992, and it changed my life. Changed my life. 21 years ago. Because I'd been bouncing from thing to thing, and as soon as the thing got boring, I'd move on to something else. I like adventure. I like excitement. I like, I'm one of those crazy types that actually loves transfer, transition and change. Drives all the more stable people around me nuts. Because I'm like, the seats have been this way for six months. Let's change them again. I know that annoys some of you. <laughs> but it's better now, isn't it? I mean, you know, thank you. Paul's with me. <laughs> but, but the, the, so when he preached that, and I realized, I wonder how long I've been pushing back my very destiny in God by failing to just stay faithful to what I've got going on in front of me right now. Because sometimes I believe, you know, the Lord's coming to call. Like, for example, he called, uh, he called for um, Elisha. If you remember the story of Elisha, he called for Elisha. And he told the prophet to go and anoint Elisha for, you know, to be in his room as a prophet. And what if Elisha wasn't where he was supposed to be at that time? What if the prophet came and said, well, God told me that he told him to be plowing in this field behind a yoke of oxen. I don't see Elisha. I'm trying to find him right now. I wonder if that happens sometimes with our destiny, where God comes, he says, I'm right here where I told you to be, and I'll wait. I mean, I'm patient. I got a day's a thousand years to me. I can wait until you arrive at the place that I told you to meet me at. But I think sometimes we're just so quick to move and shift and, and try something new that we haven't finished yet what God told us to do in that place. So Joseph, you know, Joseph's life, he was called of God. He got thrown in a pit, rises to the top again. Uh, he gets sold into slavery. Where is he going to be? At Potiphar's house. Now, to be fair, he was a slave, so he couldn't go anywhere. But instead of complaining about his lot in life, he said, you know what? I'll manifest. I'm, I'm called to rule. I've seen the dreams, you know, star, sun, moon, and stars bowing down to me, all the sheaves bowing down to me. I might as well practice here. I'm a slave. And what does he do? He becomes the chief servant, chief slave in Potiphar's house gets falsely accused of adultery, gets thrown in prison. Time to quit? Man, this is ridiculous. Don't give me any more dreams. You know, I, they, all they do is tease me. I don't feel like I'm ever going to come into it. Does he do that? Nope. He said, well, I'm here. Might as well make something of it. And he's in charge of the prison. A prisoner slave was in charge of the prison. <laughs> if I wrote a book about Joseph's life, it would be, you can't keep a good man down. <laughs> Why? He was faithful. He used what he had, and every time he rose back to the top again. Moses, Moses, I didn't share this last week. You want to talk about overcoming your origin story? I was raised in the house of a genocidal maniac who tried to kill my people. That's my adopt, and my, oh, and I'm adopted, by the way. This is Moses talking, not me. I was raised, he was a genocidal maniac. He thought he was the son of the sun god. And he could do whatever he wanted to do. Imagine growing up in that family, and he's killing my people, my mother. She put me in a basket and left me in a river. You what? My mother put me. I mean, I'm just, just imagine being a therapist. I'm in Stephanie's office on the couch. 
my mother still, I was like a year old and she put me in a basket and floated me down the river. I remember crocodiles, I remember waves and snakes and man, my mother left me. In the middle of a river, she abandoned me. You know, I mean, Moses' backstory, forget about it. Yeah, I'm sure there have been, have there been books? I'm sure there have been books about that. He overcame that backstory. Now it took 40 years to kind of work that out of him in the wilderness. But where did God find him when he showed up in a burning bush? He's shepherding a flock of sheep for his father-in-law, Jethro, which by that point might have been fine with him, but he was faithfully using what he had to offer. Little did he know that soon he would be the shepherd of a million stiff-necked Jews, which was going to be even harder than shepherding. But what a great preparation for him. Nehemiah, where do we find Nehemiah when the call of God begins to bubble up in his heart? You know, he didn't have any external thing. He just read about, you know, some things and his heart was stirred hearing about his people back in the promised land and, and his heart was stirred. But what was he doing? He was cupbearer to the king. He was serving, faithfully serving another demonic king who had, you know, ruled over the people of God, kept them far away from their promised land and captivity. He was doing it. What's Peter doing when the call of God comes to him? He's fishing. He's fishing. He is faithfully doing. James and John, they're working for their father, fishing out there day in, day out, just doing what they were called to do in that moment. They were older, they were, but they were faithfully serving in that way. Yet even Jesus went this path. How many of you want to follow Jesus? Well, there's no shortcut to go from the day we're born again to sitting with him in heavenly places, actually ruling and reigning in that place. Jesus himself came from that place and he said the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he showed us a way. We want to follow after him. It means first being willing to descend and just be faithful no matter what. Now no show of hands right now. How many of you are in a job or a situation right now where you think I would rather do anything else but this? Don't raise your hand. I want to see I don't want to know, because your boss might even be here. <laughs> All of us have worked them. All of us have been in situations like that. I don't want to go to school today, said every student ever. <laughs> Did you, anybody else, when I was a kid, I mean, I actually liked school. I, I don't know what, I, I don't understand why, why I, I do some days, but, you know, I pretend to be sick, so I don't have to go to school today, because I just want to, I'd rather be sick than go to, you know? But that's what's in front. Jesus, all we know about Jesus' childhood, after Mary and Joseph left him behind, Jesus was left behind before the books were written. I never thought of that before. Jesus was left behind. <laughs> Sorry. They left him in Jerusalem. Four days later, realized it. Go back and find him. And then we find out all we know about Jesus' childhood is that he went home with Mary and Joseph, and he was obedient to them. He did what his father told him to do. He was faithful in his father's house. From that day, which most of us believe was when he was about 12 years old, until he was 30 years old, he was faithful in his, his adopted father, stepfather. What would Joseph's relationship be? I don't know how to draw those family trees. His father's house. He was faithful in Joseph's house, because he was being faithful in his heavenly father's house. Sometimes we think, well, I'll be faithful to God because he's my, he my God, he's my Lord. I'm faithful to him, 
But my boss? Yeah. I don't know. You don't know my boss. You don't know my teacher. You don't know my fill in the blank like that. I want to just tell you right now that whatever earthly authority that we're sitting under right now, whatever they are, we are submitted to God when we're submitting to that authority. Now we'll get more into that because whatever David endured at his biological father's house, (laughs) wait till you see his first job (laughs) and what his first boss Saul was like when he took that job. Our faithfulness even and especially in roles that we find mundane and trivial in comparison to our calling is, is really the first key to God's promotion. It's the first key. Be faithful with what you've got right now. All of you who own a business or you've been supervisors at work, the first quality that any supervisor is looking for is will you do what you were told to do? Will you do it with all your heart? Will you do it when nobody's looking? Maybe even will you go the extra mile even though I didn't ask you to, like not be like a a 12-year-old when you say, you know, would you please pick up that glass and they, they pick it up. Now what? Well, we'll put it in the dishwasher. You know what I, you know? (laughs) To go and say, I'm going to treat this, which even though it's not mine, I'm going to treat it like it's my own. That's what supervisors, natural supervisors are looking for. All the more in heavenly places, the Father's looking around, looking around, saying, I want to know who will I find who's actually faithfully serving when their hour comes. And, and I'm going to tell you, every single time, the ones who continue to be promoted by the Lord are the ones who are faithful with their present assignment. Jesus said it. He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a little thing is unrighteous also in much. So sometimes, and you know, maybe our kids have said it growing up, or maybe we've thought it in a job well, this isn't really what I want to do. I'm just kind of, I'm just here to earn some money. You know, I need a paycheck. And uh, it's, it's a small thing. You know, I'm just attaching this thing at the factory and it's not really a big deal. And the, the lie that we believe is, well, I'm not really going to give my whole heart to this because it's not quite what I'm capable of. Now, when I get that job, then I'll give it my whole heart. Then I'll really put in the extra. I'll really devote myself to be excellent at that work. But this is just piddly. You know, it doesn't even matter if it gets done. Nobody notices anyway. I'm going to tell you that that, what's being trained in just doing that simple little thing is effective in big things. It is an absolute life. We have not been faithful with small things that are put in our care. We are not ready and will not be faithful with big things that get put in our care. How many of you believe that at some point in your life, God wants to trust you with more responsibility? Now, if every hand's not up, I'm going to preach that, you know. He does. Well, go look. You know, Paul said to the Corinthians, said, you know, you guys are acting like, like mere men. Don't you know that we're going to be judging angels? I don't know what that looks like or how that is. We're going to be leading angels. Judging doesn't mean you're a fallen angel and you're an angel of light. Not, that's not what judging means in the Bible. Judging means leading. It means making decisions for. Again, I'm not going to speculate on what that looks like, but what, what he's saying is, that, look, guys, we're, we are called to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He is the Lord of hosts. And whatever that looks like for eternity, these, things, these majestic beings are going to be subject to you. You're going to be like a king, and they're your subjects. 
So how much more the things in this life that seem so little? This is tra- that's why it's training for reigning. So he goes on, he goes, therefore, if you have been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Who will give you that which is your own? All of us, I mean, very few people start out in life, an entrepreneur, start your own business, and you don't work for someone else. Even those who did, you were in your parents' house before then, or whatever your upbringing was, you were in that place. And if, you have, if we haven't been faithful to be a steward of that which doesn't belong to us, then we are not prepared for the responsibility of owning something. I mean, it's a known thing. How many landlords do we have here? You own, you own property, you rent it out. I mean, it is a known thing. I've heard horror stories about the way tenants treat a property as opposed to how homeowners treat a property. But how many of you know, if you are not able to take care of an apartment that you're renting, you're not going to treat your own house any better. If you can't treat the things that belong to somebody else with respect, you won't be treating the things that belong to you with respect. All the more when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, And so faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness goes a long way with the people of God. When I began in pastoral ministry, I was uh, two years in Christ. I'd been accepted to Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and my path was set. I had prophecy. I had a call that was stirring in me, and I just knew one day I'm going to be a pastor. So I went to seminary thing. That'd be a good, quick way to get trained for it. I had no idea about any of this stuff. None of me, Phil Capuccio. I'm in love with the man. It's love at first sight. I'm like, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I heard him preach a few times, got to know his heart, saw that he was the same in the pulpit as he was in life. I said, this is it. I am, I've found somebody that will be like a father to me. And we began that kind of a journey. So I said, all right, I'm here. I have directed summer camps with 150 inner city kids for the last eight summers. I have directed boys and girls clubs with hundreds of kids a day. I'm a man of leadership. I have so much experience. You want me to run the children's ministry? Or, you know, somebody says, nope. Uh, we need somebody to clean the bathrooms and wipe the sills of dust because our, our building's old and it gets pretty dusty. So there's the, there's the uh, Murphy's oil soap, there's the rags, and there's the toilet cleaning stuff. Oh, and we're getting a bus? I heard that you know how to, you have a, a CDL license. We're going to need somebody to maintain and, and drive that bus when we do our outreaches to the homeless. Oh, you want me to go out and preach? No, no, we just want you to drive. Keep, make sure the fluids are all good and that it's maintained. Okay. Oh, I know how to play drums too. I've been a drummer since I was 12. I could play in the band and the drums. And, uh, now, why don't you just, uh, just worship with the congregation for a while? I want to see your heart for worship and all of that. I was so offended. I will, do you, do you not know what a gift you have received when we chose this to be our church? <laughs> and little by little, as I'm scrubbing those toilets, hearing the preaching, reading the word, and understanding what an arrogant jerk I was, you know, every supervisor that we've had that we don't like is somebody who didn't go this route. Usually, I mean, it's like a, a stereotype in the military, for example, that lieutenant that became a lieutenant, not because he signed up as a private and got promoted by his works, but 
went to West Point, had a rich daddy, and got an instant jump over three levels of promotion and, and got in there. Now, there are some that have the character to do that, and there's some that don't have the character to do that. And they are not fun to serve under, from what I hear. I've never been in the military myself. In other words, people who kind of jump the line and just get promoted because they've got a gift but haven't had that character worked into them are not fun to be led by. But people who know what it's like, people who have come up through the ranks, who lead in such a way of saying, I understand exactly what it means to have you know, peel and potato duty. I remember what it's like. I've done that myself and I've been faithful and the Lord saw fit to just continue the promotions. The assignment that we currently have is always a preparation for what God has for us in the future. This is a good, a good principle to find meaning in whatever meaningless, so-called meaningless thing that we're presently doing. There is always something that we're learning. If we don't just go through the motions, if we don't treat the menial assignments that we have especially when we're younger and earlier on in in our careers or or in life or in our call, if we don't treat it like, well, this is just a hoop I gotta jump through. This is just a stepping stone on my way into my destiny. If we don't treat it like that, but rather say, okay, you put me here, Lord. What am I supposed to learn? What am I gonna take from here that's gonna help me somewhere down the road of life? The things I learned moving furniture, which was my first married job, I still use today. I'm getting a little old to help, help with moving, you know, the way I used to. I'll still do it, but nah. <laughs> but not, not just those skills, but the skills of, okay, it's 5 a.m., it's, it's north of Boston, it's blowing snow sideways, and I have to go to work right now, which means getting out there and digging my way to the front of that diesel truck, praying to God that somebody remembered to plug it in last night because we're going to shovel this off and we have a moving job and we have to drive an hour and a half to get there. Just the plain old character that that built alone was worth the 18 months I worked at that company. I had no idea that, that having a six foot four gorilla of a man screaming at me about that far away from my face would be great training for pastoral ministry. I was I always thought it was gonna be like Munchkin Land, you know, like do 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 do, and then the church, and then I realized, no, mostly, mostly people want to see the past when there's a problem, <laughs> or because they got issues, and they will have more than willing to take them out on whoever's in front of them. <laughs> Everything that we do is also, I mean, if nothing else, it's preparation by learning faithfulness, by learning how to persevere, learning how to press through those seasons rather than quit. This is the stage of all the hurdles into, you know, our ultimate call where quitting is still an option. But how many of you know, once you've been trained in how to press through, every athlete knows this, you're a runner, you're a swimmer, you're whatever, you, you push through the wall, you know, you get to that part where your body keeps telling you, you got to stop right now. I'm going to faint on you. And you tell your body, no, you're not. And it says, okay. And then, well, till you turn 50, then everything, anyway. And you just press through and you learn, hey, what I used to think was being stretched beyond my limits. You know, that's a dumb expression, right? Think about that. I was stretched beyond my limits. No, clearly that wasn't your limit. You just thought that was your limit. You got stretched beyond your expectations of yourself. That's what faithfulness produces. 
I'm capable of doing exceedingly more than I used to think I could. That's what faithfulness produces in us. So it's, uh, you know, if you're like the karate kid, it's, it's, it's this, you know, Mr. Miyagi, you mean, yeah. Right? You remember that from the first one? Maybe you just saw the second one. Take your coat off, take off your jacket, put your jacket on, do it again. It's all meaningless, right? Why am I putting my jacket on the ground, picking it up? Why am I doing that? Well, you find out later on that is training for the moves that you're going to need. Wax on, wax off. <laughs> learning things that I didn't even know I was learning. That is the, that's the joy of just giving over that everything's ministry, everything's preparation, everything's for the glory of God. It might make no sense. Why am I a pastor and a preacher and I'm over here throwing cornhole? <laughs> Everything is preparation for what's next. Everything that we put our hands to has a purpose to it. And, and it's going to be next. So we'll, we'll come back to David now. <laughs> so I just saw you, Brian, and I, it could have been anybody I could have picked on for that. David is out in a field, and what's he doing? Now, this is a man who is going to be anointed the, the first real king after God's heart anyway of Israel, the, the king of God's chosen people. The one who is going to take rulership of the nation that will produce the savior of the world. And David's gonna, now how are we gonna prepare David for that? Oh, let's put him out in the field with a bunch of sheep. Mm-hmm. That's what I would have picked. What's your starter job for that? You know, if you wanna be a, a, a tradesman, you wanna be a builder, what are you gonna do for your first job? I'm gonna work for another builder. I'm gonna learn framing, I'm gonna learn roofing, I'm gonna learn concrete, I'm gonna learn... You know, all these things like this. I want to be a, pa- I want to be a, I'm going to be a king one day. What are you going to do? How about, see that flock of sheep right there? They're all yours. Don't let them die. <laughs> I, I, um, I like watching um, videos sometimes of shepherds in action. It's very therapeutic. So this is what David was learning because, you know, leadership means learning to deal with every type Leadership means I don't just get to do the best and the brightest and the cream of the crop. Leadership, especially in the kingdom, means I'm going to take whoever the Lord brings to me and I'm going to help them come up in Christ. Whether it's on the workplace, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a family, wherever it is, I'm going to just be building everybody up and I'm not going to get to pick and choose. And so God said, David, I got just the job for you. Tend your father's sheep. Here's a, here's a montage of some of those videos. Have you seen this one? Here's a little lamb got stuck in a crevice over there. And there's a good, you know, nice shepherd. He pulls him out. It was awesome. I'm free and I'm back in the pit. <laughs> yeah, that's about what it feels like sometimes. Isn't it? And this, this right here. All right, shepherding 101. Never turn your back on the sheep. Never give them your back. Look at that wind up. Boom. Oh, I'm feeling it. I could just feel that one. Oh. Oh, yeah. And this guy, see, you never turn your back on them. They're just so, and, and even when you're driving, don't turn your back on them. And, and then this guy, this guy over here, he's like, oh, let's, let's play. Yeah, you want to play? Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, let's do a little uh, sheep rodeo. Look, he's lost his shoe <laughs> in the middle of that. Yeah, I can handle you. Nope, no, I can't. No, I, I can't handle you. And, and this one right here, this one. Oh, oh. 
oh man, that's uh, that is that hurts to look at right right there. And just when you think you're safe to get back up again, it's uh, no, there he is again. <laughs> you want to be king? You want to be lord of God's people? You know, be a pastor. They said it'll be fun. They said you know. <laughs> there, you know, one one thing that having seen leaders come and go, rise and fall over the years, one of the traits, that was a funny picture. I meant to leave that up. I'm sorry, I should have told you that. Because that is, oh, I didn't, I'm sorry, never mind, Megan. <laughs> People who desire to be in positions of authority have no idea. The disciples, what were they always arguing about? Who's going to be the greatest, all right? So, so it's Peter. Okay, Peter, you want to keep putting yourself out there? Guess what? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And I told him, yes, he could. <laughs> right? That there, there, there's this desire. It's, it's, um, and we'll look more next week at this one. Uh, David's in Saul's palace. There's like this desire in some, like I, I just like to be in charge. I want to be, I like to have authority over people. And, and people like that make me really nervous. There's something about those that like ruling over other people that causes problems every time, right? So God's working out people that learn to carry his heart. So what did David learn while he was out there shepherding the sheep? He learned that love is patient. You'll pull that little lamby out of the crack and he will run right back into it in 15 seconds. That little lamby knows where the hole in the fence is, sneaks out, and now you're going to go walk through the briar again to get him out before he drowns in the creek, right? You're going to get that, that you that, you know, just keeps uh, ramming you from behind because she thinks it's funny or because she's mad or whatever, and, and you're going to get back up and you're going to love that you. You're going to have those two rams that are button horns on the end of the field, and you're going to have to break them up again, and you're going to learn patience. David learned patience with those sheep. He learned how to tarry. He learned how to love consistently things that had nothing to offer him. That, that's, it's a one-way street of love that David's learning. I'm going to protect you. I will defend you. I will feed you. I will lead you in paths of right. You know, I'll lead you to still water. I'll lead you to green pastures. And I'm not looking for anything in return. And David was being trained in that for all of his childhood, young adult years. He learned the discipline of courage. We know at least he had to fight off a lion and a bear. I'm sure there were wolves. I'm sure there were coyotes and all that. Is it coyotes or coyote? See, if you watch cartoons, it's coyote because it's Wiley Coyote. But I don't know, or coyotes. But he's out there by himself in the wilderness, and he's got to protect that flock from whatever comes. Courage is not a, a character trait um, all by itself. It's a discipline. Courage means I am terrified right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, real courage. Foolhardiness is, well, whatever, I'll, I'll go run at a bear. That's, I'm not following you, you know? But courage means I am afraid right now, but I love these sheep more than I love my fear, and so I'm going to discipline myself to go and risk my life to protect them. David was learning those things. He was also learning the value of solitude. He had lots of time to just be out there alone talking to God. Lots of time to think. Lots of time to just process life. Lots of time to just let everything kind of 
distill down. We're reading a book right now with the elders and some other leaders in the church called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And there's a picture the author uses to describe what our soul is like most all of the time. And it's uh, if you take a jar full of sediment and shake it up. I think I did this here one time and then you kind of put it down for a little bit. You're going to be able to see through it right away. You can't see clearly until the silt settles and you got to sit still for the silt to settle. And David learned how to do that. He learned as Jesus learned and Jesus did how to go away to lonely places to pray. Jesus began his ministry. The perfect son of God began his ministry 40 days in the wilderness. Why? He, he learned the discipline. It is a spiritual discipline of solitude. I'm just going to be with the father and see what's on his heart and see what's in me that needs to come to the surface that the father can, can deal with in me. It's a really important thing. He learned songwriting. Most people believe he, if not wrote Psalm 23 while he was out there as a young lad. Most people believe it was his first song. We don't know. He definitely learned all of those things by being a shepherd out in those fields. But he's out there going, you know, I'm looking at the sheep right now. And it strikes me about how the way that I care for these sheep is exactly the way my Father in heaven cares for me. And this is what's going through his mind and his heart as he's out there in the field day in and day out one of the most boring jobs that there is. I mean, you're just watching, literally, it's like watching the grass grow. You're just watching the sheep eat the grass as it grows. And that's your job. And you get an occasional, whoo, when there's a wolf or something like that. Other than that, it's, oh, goodness. What time is it? Oh, I didn't like that. So, you know, is my shift almost, you know, he's got this long, long days like that, but he's writing songs to the Lord. He's learning the art of ministry to the Lord. What a, that alone is a beautiful training ground for all of us to just learn the value of, I don't need to turn on the music. I don't need a worship team. I got a worship team and a choir right inside of here. I got a old church choir singing in my soul <laughs> that, that that is valuable david had time god was preparing him to be a man who could you know leadership means initiative it means you don't need somebody else to start something you've got it going on on the inside you could start it for other people that's what initiative means i'll be the point of the spear i'll be the first one to go i won't wait for prompting and i don't need somebody else to do it first I'll do it first, even if I'm the only one doing it. David's learning how to minister to the Lord on his own. Boy, will that come in handy as we'll see so many times in his life. It's what preserved his life, preserved his righteous heart in the middle of his wilderness experience. He, he wrote songs, as we'll see, to commemorate every horrific thing that happened to him. He learned how to pour his heart out to the Lord and how to turn that into a worship service right in the middle of almost dying. It's a precious thing. And he learned how to throw a sling. You know, shepherds, I mean, they do have a rod and a staff and the, the baton, the rod's like a, a throwing stick. And that's a really good way. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And a, a rod in the hand of a really good thrower is a deadly weapon. You can get killed with one of them things. But we know that David learned how to shoot a sling. It was, um, it's an amazing thing. The, the region where David grew up the hills of Bethlehem, although it belonged to the tribe of Judah, Benjamin is in the middle of Judah geographically. And there was a civil war that went on because some of the, the, Gibeah, the men of Gibeah did this horrific thing in Judges like 20-ish or somewhere thereabouts. 
And, uh, and all of Israel came and said, that's it, We're, we got to, they're going to pay for what they did. So they came, they had war with the tribe of Benjamin. And it just has this one line, it says, and there were 700 left-handed sling throwers who could hit a blade of grass with the rock. David grew up in that countryside. If I were writing a book about David's life, which I hope to do one day, I would have them teaching him how to throw that thing where he could hit a blade of grass that's as far away as Steve is in that sound booth. That's, that's accuracy. What else are you going to do for hours? You're going to pick a target. Maybe it's a tree. I don't know if David was left-handed. And you're over and over again practicing. Maybe you're taking out your anger because you got into another fight with your brothers or they made fun of you again or they did a prank on you again. And you're all, hmm, all right, take that, Eliab. And, and he's all day long practicing on this thing. He became a marksman probably by the time he was done. So he was able to protect the flock with that sling. He was learning all of these things just by being faithful. His father just said, David, take the sheep out to the north pasture and uh, you know, keep them out there until there's no more green grass for them. He learned about being faithful. Lack of faithfulness in our present assignment just reveals when not ready for our next assignment on the pathway to the Lord's promotion. I urge you to do whatever you find hand, your hand finds to do with all of your might. Be faithful. Trust God. He knows how to find you. The enemy cannot trip up your plans. The fact that you didn't get promoted, the fact that you applied for that job and didn't get it, the fact that you feel overlooked, the fact that it doesn't seem like you're doing anything at whatever age you're at that has to do with your ultimate call in life. I remember 25 years old talking to the Lord and saying, God, you know, I'm I'm supposed to be a pastor and I'm like 25 now and I'm not pastoring yet. (laughs) I mean, now, you know, I'm looking back, oh my goodness, 25. Thank God nobody let me do anything then. You thank God I wasn't a pastor now. Trust me with what I was when I was 25. And And then the Lord said to me, son, I was 30 and I'm the son of God. I said, okay. I could wait. I could wait. I could give you five more years. <laughs> I could, you know, I was 15 years in training before any hands were laid on me to be a pastor. And I don't regret a day of that preparation. It's preserved my family. It's preserved me. And in some ways, it's preserved us together as a church during my tenure here. The preparation, faithfulness in that preparation process every step of the way whether we understand what we're learning or not, is always making us ready for it. So the path to destiny is littered. The side of the road is littered with the failures of those who were unfaithful in their present assignment because they were too busy looking for what was next. Uh, Every young person, please hear me strong on this. When you are working for an employer or preparing in any way, whether you're in school, whether you're working, don't be looking with your, don't minister or work with your head up looking for what's next. Minister with your head down, put your hand to that plow, don't look back, and do it with all your heart. The Lord's promotion will find you in that place. I am absolutely convinced the more lives I walk with, the more people I know, that we delay the Lord's promotion into the next assignment by not being faithful in our present assignment. 
Because there are things the Lord loves us too much. Remember, our faithfulness is a manifestation of his love. His faithfulness to us sometimes is say, you're not ready yet. If I put you in, a, in an increased responsibility, it'll hurt you and all of those that you lead because you're not ready yet. You know that I, I learned this when I learned how to bake. I'm still not a baker, don't get me wrong. But I learned this from my wife, that if the recipe says, put the thing in for, uh, on 350 degrees for 15 minutes, that you can't put it in for eight minutes on 500 degrees. <laughs> Did you know that? I might have just said, oh, you guys have never baked yet. You can't do it like that. You can't put it in a microwave. There's no fast road into it. And so the joy of walking with God is just enjoy the journey right where it's at now. Find joy in it. You know, my, my favorite memory, I was my first summer camp job was a counselor in training, and they had us uh, doing odd jobs all around the camp, wherever there was a need. And my first day, I was, I was assigned to maintenance for the first week. This New York City boy had never touched a shovel in his life. They don't let you work on stuff in New York City apartments. So I, I was like, how do you hold this thing? You know, it was literally like that. So they sent us out because um, the, the honey truck was coming. I thought they meant, oh, the kitchen's getting a delivery. Cool. I didn't know we needed that much. <laughs> Comes in a truck. And the honey truck was coming, and the, the cap for the septic tank had been, uh, like some flood came over, and it buried it. So he said, and it's starting to overflow because we waited too long. So you see that little field over there? You know that smelly field that you try to avoid? You got to find the cap so they could open it up and pump it out. So what's that got to do with honey? Well, you'll see. (laughs) My friend and I spent the next, I don't know, it might have been an hour, it might have been six. Five minutes already, I was ready to pass out. You know, it's like smelling that methane. And we're digging this thing. We were howling, laughing. I was so tempted to throw it on him and he on me. We were digging in this mud. We didn't do it, but we sure smelled like it. I mean, I, I soaked in that lake afterward for an hour. To this day, I was 15 years old when that happened. One of my favorite young adult memories was doing that because I found joy in it. I found a reason to just say, I'm going to make, this is horrible, but I'm going to have some fun while I'm doing it. If you can find a way to find joy in everything that you got your hand to, then before you know it, you're faithful, you got your nose to the grindstone, you got your hand to the plow, That's all the metaphors I could think of. And you look up and all of a sudden you realize, I am dead smack in the middle of my destiny and I didn't strive to get here. God's been working all things together for good all this time. And all of a sudden, you know, like Joseph goes from being a prisoner to second in command of the biggest nation of the earth. Just like that. Was he an overnight success? Nope. And then the saying goes, it takes 20 years to make an overnight success. All of that preparation. So Ecclesiastes 9, I'll close with this verse. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. We stand to our feet. Father, I pray that your word and your truth would be all the conviction we need. I pray great grace for those, and I know some 
here in our house that are working really difficult jobs in difficult environments in places that, well, let's just say they, they don't yet represent heaven on earth yet. I bless them. I thank you for giving them a faithful, steadfast spirit like you have. I pray that you'll restore their soul. Be the good shepherd that restores their soul. Be the good shepherd that makes tomorrow, Monday morning, make it feel like their first day on the job when everything was new and exciting. Your mercies are new every morning. Maybe our joy could be new every morning. Would you pour out your spirit in such a way to give a renewal of heart, a renewal of joy? I pray you'd strengthen every weary hand, lift up every, all the weary knees, make straight paths for every one of our feet. I, I pray that we would find a joy just in being faithful, knowing that wherever we work, we're, we're serving the Lord and wherever we work. I pray that your presence would show up in places where it looks like this would be the last place that you'll find Jesus. I pray your presence would, would show up and as was prayed this morning before service, your wraparound love would surround every heart, that there'd be like a, a Teflon coating of all the, the hurling accusations and whatever, the foul language, the, whatever makes the environment difficult. I pray you just put a coating over that we'd be able to just go in and minister with all of our heart. Faithful, faithful, faithful people of God. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of being surrounded with a company of faithful ones like this. Would you continue to lead us on? I pray that those who have gotten weary in waiting would receive new hope. Hope deferred, as the scripture says, makes the heart weary. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Would you be the fulfillment of every desire for those whose hope has been delayed? Thank you, Lord, for, for doing that. Thank you for being that kind of a God who makes it as though the fulfillment's already happened even while we're still living out the process. You're an amazing, amazing good God. We love you. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right, I'll see you Wednesday night. We'll be back in Ephesians again, and we'll see you Tuesday night at prayer, and we'll see you, is it Friday night this week? Friday night at the Stansfield's house. And uh, praise God. I love you guys.